Uh. Some of people's one time. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Yeah. Oh, back Let me across the people. Yeah, me and AJ did something a long time ago. We can we can start again. Go ahead. All right, three, two, one. You are live. I might leave that on. There. You know, that's funny. Like outtakes and stuff. Yeah. This is across the intersection podcast. You're rocking with us again. We're back for session two. I don't know, episode two, I don't know, season two, whatever you want to call season it. Season two. Yeah. I'm in here. We got the whole squad <laughs> in here this morning. Yeah, the, the, the check sure. one, two, everything. Got the whole squad in here this morning. Uh, got my man Landis. What's good? What's good? Got Eve in here. Hey, this is Eve. How you doing? And Dan is in the building. What's up? And this is AJ. So we're going to, you know, give you what we give you, which is, you know, life, religion, politics, race. War, everything, everything, right? But we're going to do our best to give it to you from that mature perspective. We are going to practice being grown-ups in here. (laughs) Um, So it's been a a long week, right? Yeah. Been long, been tough. Mm. Um, And a whole lot to talk about, but, you know, because y'all don't want to be on here for four hours, we're going to limit it. I hope I get to the place where people want to hear me talk for four hours. But uh, with, with that being said, you know, there's something that's been fresh fresh on the on the docket and uh this was really heavy on eve's heart so she i'm gonna let her go ahead and and, and introduce it um why don't you go ahead and uh because if for those listening to the show we're recording it today is june what's today's date 17th. 17th so this is 24 hours fresh 24 yeah. hours fresh yeah yeah some of you all might remember that last year uh especially on social media um, last summer, I think it was July, there was a video that went out and um, it just caught fire uh, because, of course, we had been experiencing a long period of back-to-back police brutality incidents. And so this just happened to be the most recent one. It was in Minnesota and um, there was an educator by the name of Philando Castile who was in the passenger seat and his girlfriend, Diamond, was in the driver's seat. I believe that's that's the way it was. Uh or, you know, I think, what? I think it was the other way around. I think, I think maybe the was, other yeah. way around. Either way, there were two adults in the front, and then there was a child who wasn't shown in the video in the back seat of the car. And when the video came on, what you see is a shaking, shivering gun in the window pointed at Philando Castile. And I think that's the first impression I got, besides what Diamond was saying to the video camera or to her phone, actually. Besides what she was saying, because she was distraught and she was afraid, the thing that my eyeball focused on was the shaking gun in the hand of a police officer. Mm. And it just it just caught me, you know, that this guy was obviously afraid. And then, then a big question mark appeared in my mind, which asked, why would a person with a gun be afraid? And so, anyway, what we saw was uh, the girlfriend of Philando uh, saying exactly what had happened before. Uh, which we can't verify because it didn't show up on video. But supposedly they were pulled over for a taillight incident, a taillight being out in the car. And um, Philando, as is the uh, what's lawful in the state of Minnesota, had a gun on him. Um, and, you know, this was a gun that he uh, was, you know, legally allowed to, to carry. And um, so he warned the officer, which makes perfect sense, 
that this is, you know, what he had on him, just so that the officer wouldn't be surprised. And, you know, Philando Castile, just like the rest of us, had been aware of the recent police brutality incidents. And of course, he didn't want to be the next victim, which makes perfect sense. So when they were pulled over, for some reason, the uh, police officer, you know, pulled them over, of course, because there was a tail light out and he asked for um, license registration, the typical thing. And Philando warned him and said, look, you know, I'm licensed to carry and I have a gun in my possession. But Philando, which makes perfect sense, held up his hands so that, um, so you know, so that he could keep his hands as far away from the gun as possible. However, according to um, the testimony in the trial, the police officer asked him to grab the gun and remove it from his person. And Philando, uh, being a black man, <laughs> knew better. He thought it would make more sense for him to just keep his hands as far away from his firearm as possible because uh, just historically and even in terms of common sense, you don't want to have a hand on a gun when there's an officer standing there, even though the officer is asking for you to remove it. So that was where uh, the video picked up right after the officer had felt a need to shoot at Philando. How many times was it? A lot, a lot, many. There were a few, you know, shots into the car at Philando whose hands were not near his gun deliberately. And then that's apparently when Diamond turned on the, I think it was, it was on Facebook Live and she wanted everybody to see what was going on. And so anyway, the point is, is that they were pulled over, not for a particular crime, but because the taillight was out, uh, the officer asked for the basic information that you ask a, a driver uh, for when you pull them over. Philando warns him that he does have a, a, a right to carry. Um, the officer asked him to remove the gun. Uh, Philando refused because he didn't want to be someone touching his gun when an officer with a gun out is standing right in front of him. Um, and the officer shoots him because supposedly he feels threatened. And so what happened just yesterday is that the verdict in that case came through and the officer was caught, was counted not guilty for several counts of manslaughter and for the lesser charges of, of shooting into a car and endangering the lives of a child in the back seat as well as uh, the other adult, which is Diamond Reynolds, the girlfriend. And needless to say, there's a lot of outrage from the family and from the country as a whole. Um, about that verdict. For me, what jumps out on that case, you know, in addition to just the, obviously the violent nature of it, was the Facebook Live post. I think that's what put Facebook Live like really on the map. Yeah. I can remember last summer when she did it, you know, everybody was like, they streamed, like, because I think he died like literally on Facebook Live, if I'm not mistaken. Didn't he like... I don't remember like, him passing away on it, but he was... You know, he was at that last stage of life because he had been shot. He wasn't shot directly into a vital organ, but of course, internal bleeding was probably happening. And you just yeah. see him hunched over, yeah. and he's also trying not to move because we see a shaking yeah. um, firearm in his face from the cop. And so I can imagine from his perspective that he doesn't want to make any sudden moves, but he is dying literally there. Right. Mm -hmm. I just, I, 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 and I'm, I may be off, but I thought I remember her saying, like, don't die or don't, like, keep yeah. breathing or something like that. Yeah, she was praying and, and yeah. saying, Jesus, please don't let him die. What's going on? And I remember in the beginning looking at the video thinking, why is she saying, please don't let him die? He was shot in the shoulder. I had no idea what impact a bullet can make to a human, a human being's uh, torso. Um, so she's saying, 
you know, don't die. He's not really able to talk. So she does see him start to slip away. Yeah. And so that's why she was so distraught. So that 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 verdict just uh, came in yesterday, not guilty. And um, most people would just say, I'm not surprised, you know, blah, 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 blah. Um, one of the things that I've sort of, I don't know, grown kind of numb to a little bit uh, is expecting justice from an unjust system. Right. You know, I think we, and you know, I, <clears throat> as I've said, and I will continue to say when I say we, I'm talking about the body of Christ, um, and I never try to separate or segregate myself from it. We expect unjust systems and unjust people to behave justly mm-hmm. and behave righteously, right. um, and we won't admit that, but we do. We expect it. Like when we go and deal with crooked business people, right? We expect them to be. Why? Why do you expect that, right? Mm-hmm. If I deal with a crooked or unjust judicial system, right. I expect them to be just why they have no motivation to be just like the executives at bank of America have no motivation to not want to take my money and and get over on me. They have no motivation. And so one of the things for me, I'm not going to say numb, but it's brought a certain realization is that, okay, we live and we have to operate within unjust, unrighteous systems that are ruled by unjust and unrighteous people. Right. Like that is probably the first step that we have. You know, they say the the steps of grief or whatever they call it. Dan probably knows this. You know, the council, the steps of grief. I know that's one of the steps. You know, ex- acceptance, which um, you know is acceptance. And for me, this is what this has been over the last you know couple of years. It's been an acceptance of okay, you kind of already knew it, mm-hmm. but to see it again, similarly to the stuff that we've seen politically. Where you, where you know, we talked about knowing that the wound was already there, but now with forty-five, the wound has just kind of been made. It's been ripped open and been evident. And I think for for me, what it's done is allowed you to see: no, this is an unjust and an unrighteous system. Mm-hmm. The judicial system is unjust and unrighteous, not because of anything racial, but because it's run by unjust people. It's run by unjust and unrighteous people. I would just beg to differ on that racial part because again, well, not solely. I'll okay. say not not solely. Yeah, let me let me okay. let me dial that back. Not solely based upon race. It is yeah. a factor. I'm not going to be foolish enough to think it's not a factor because I've been pulled out of a car and had my car searched and mm. had dogs sniff my car. Like I've I've lived that, so I understand yeah. that that's a component. Mm-hmm. But um, I think that we have to understand that. People who are unjust and people who are unrighteous have no motivation to be just and righteous. Right. So when we see you know, results that are unjust and unrighteous, as believers, we have to say, okay, this is an unjust and unrighteous system. Lord, help me to navigate through this system. But I can't go in expecting, if it happens, great, right? If it happens, okay, woohoo. But I can't go in expecting that. Mm-hmm. You know, if if it happens, I should be surprised. But I shouldn't go in expecting a system that's unjust and unrighteous to be just and righteous. Amen. And just to uh, add on to that, uh, what AJ was saying, I believe just the injustice as well as the racism that is clearly apparent in this case, all that is a result of sin. It's a result of our sin nature and which causes us to hate God and to hate each other. Um, so you see that all throughout this case. Um, 
one thing I, I do want to say, I guess, because I am white, I'll speak to <laughs> I'll speak to white America. I'll speak to white Christians and how how to respond in this situation. Um, just again, I don't I don't get pulled over like that because I'm of a certain persuasion, so I don't experience a lot of these things. And it seems that a lot of uh, white white America, white Christians aren't able to sympathize because they don't go through this. Uh, Oh, well, officers act fairly to me. So if you disobey them, then Mm -hmm. just listen to them and nothing will happen. I mean, that's, you know, that, that may be my reality as a white person, but that's not the reality of, uh, people who are of a different persuasion than I am. Uh, so we need to be more sympathetic, empathetic to what, you know, our fellow brothers and sisters are going through. I think that you, you made a really good point because a lot of people will not listen to this type of thing unless it comes from your voice, you know, and a lot of uh, white folks will say, Oh, what can I do? You know? Yes. There's a system of privilege and underprivilege, um, this is where we live, get over yourself, you know, I can't do anything about it individually. And one thing that um, you're bringing up and that's coming out a lot is people are saying, well, actually, there is something that white people or people, regardless of what the category is, the person who is privileged based on whatever that category is. So when we're talking about privilege in terms of gender, one thing that males can do, or privilege in terms of, you know, ability status. One thing that able-bodied people can do is put ramps, you know, where where disabled. So in this case, um, one thing that white folks can do is have, is, is be honest when it comes to that. You know good and well, just like Dan said, that, you know, that you do not get pulled over with guns in your face, mm-hmm. you know, and so, but I did want to mention one other thing about race, because some people will look at this and say, oh, this is clearly not a race mm-hmm. issue, because the cop was Latino or Hispanic, mm-hmm. and um, and so therefore, boom, he's a, of a minority group, so it's a not, not a race issue <laughs> at all. It's okay. And so, yeah, I just wanted to, to say that when you live in a system, a, a system that was racist from the beginning. In fact, a system that was built on race privilege, right? British people came to this continent uninvited, uh, stole land and stole bodies in order to build the American civilization. And the, the social stratification that they built was based on race and colorism. So the fact that this cop is not white means absolutely nothing. Because he's a part of that system. And in mm-hmm. fact, he's a part of an agency that enforces the system. Right. The reason police or organizations were built was to um, deal, back in the late 1800s, was to deal with um, what to do with the newly freed enslaved Slaves, people. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. so the fact that he's not white means absolutely nothing. You know, it's similar to, you know, black people who suffer from um, something that Du Bois and a predecessor of his called double, double consciousness meaning that you're looking at life through the eyes of your oppressor. Mm-hmm. I mean, that there's so many um, really bad uh, consequences of a system that is built on race privilege, and it has nothing to do with, uh, or the person who perp- perpetuates this, you know, ha- this has nothing to do with their particular race. It's just like a, a fish in a pool. The fish doesn't know that it's wet. It's a part of that environment. 
Yeah, and I've, uh, just real quick to add on, I saw a video on Facebook the other day. I think I've seen similar videos to this in the past where they took small children of different races and showed them different baby dolls, you know, different colors. And even even the black children identified the black dolls as bad and ugly uh, and the white ones as nice pretty um so it, it goes beyond you know what what your particular race is even even black cops can act <laughs> racist towards oh. towards blacks because it is like eve said it is based on a system of okay we're taught from a young age that black is bad and and white is good and you even see it you see it in cartoons like the the bad character will kind of be usually darker. The good character will be lighter or white. Uh, so we're fed, we're fed this from an early age. And so it's no wonder that, you know, again, that uh, the cop and, you know, again, I'm not excusing this, you know, horrendous act, but he is just a symptom of, of, of a system. He was taught as as a cop to to fear black people he was even taught that as an early age before becoming a cop and mm-hmm. that's why if it was a white person in the car same situation with a gun and everything he wouldn't be shaken with the gun he wouldn't be mm-hmm. fearful but simply because it, it was a person of color and he was taught to to fear or to view people of color as as bad and that perpetuated situation so it has it goes beyond just this one case as we've seen it's it's a system that needs to be dealt with mm-hmm. yeah i think you you guys both bring up very two very good points um the the first point that dan just mentioned about the fact that you know the cops and this these things they're just symptoms mm-hmm. and we can't get in the habit of just pulling off fruit right you know if i go outside and pull all the leaves off a tree outside by the next season they'll be back you know, unless I sort of cut at the root. And I think the, you know, part of that root problem is that we're too comfortable in these systems. Mm-hmm. You know, we just kind of find our comfort in them and we just kind of go about our day instead of identifying them and calling them out for what they are, you know, and beginning to disassociate ourselves with the systems. Those are the things that we won't do. Mm-hmm. You know, think about 2005, six, seven, when the financial system crashed and it came to light that banks were getting over on people. Right. Banks were admitting, yeah, we gave faulty mortgages and we were just trying to take it. Mm-hmm. Nobody stopped using banks. People were just right. like, oh, like we, we refuse to disassociate ourselves with the systems, right? right. Well, same thing here. If, if, if we are acknowledging, okay, judicial system is a little unjust, it's, it's corrupt. But guess what? The first time somebody do me wrong, I'm taking you to court. Well, hold on. You just said that the judicial system was corrupt a few minutes ago. You refuse to disassociate yourself with the system. So I think that's part of the root. These different things that we're seeing pop up, like Dan was just saying, I think are just the symptoms. They're they're fruit. Um, The point that Eve brought up about, I think a way to help all of us collectively begin to climb out of these situations is those who are empowered have to help those who are not empowered. Um, 
<clears throat> those who are empowered have to identify, you know, have to realize I'm I'm empowered in this situation. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you brought up a good point about being a woman. There's only one of us at this table that has to be concerned about getting gas at eleven o'clock at night by themselves. Right. And it's not me. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> so I would have to be empowered to say, Hey, are you about to go some like if we were recording this at eleven o'clock at night? And she needed to get gas. I'm gonna say, all right, I'll probably shoot the gas station because I don't have a problem getting. I'll just get my gas and I think twice about it and just get back in the car. Exactly. Because nine times out of ten, a guy trying to rob somebody is probably not gonna rob me. Mm-hmm. You know, where he may say, oh, her, yeah, let me see if I can, you know, crush her head and take her car. I'm empowered, so I have to recognize that and say, you know what, I'm empowered. It's okay. Let me help someone who is not as empowered as I am. We we refuse to do that. You know, we, but that's, I think, the first step to help all of us collectively come out of this is that those who are empowered have to recognize that they're empowered and then be willing to help the ones and, or help those in, this, in society, those in the population who are not empowered. Yeah, I know for me that uh, when I heard the verdict, I wasn't, I mean, just like you brought up earlier, that's, I mean, that's pretty much the, the uh, response to a lot of people. Not surprised. Because looking at the, um, I mean, looking at the responses on social media saying, again, wow, you know, this is just, <laughs> right. you know, it's, it's almost like people have gotten so used to it where it's like, you know, what's the point of protesting? What's the point of going out and and, and uh, saying we won't, you know, ju- no justice, no people. What's the point of doing all that when you know this is going to be the outcome? Where my struggle, some, where I struggle with sometimes is, and you brought up the point earlier, saying, listen, this is a, uh, this is a corrupt system. And the reality is that it always has to come before me is that as a Christian, we can't think like the world. And it's easy to get wrapped up in the emotion of it all and saying, look, why, God, why is this happening to black people? You know, and this is how a lot of people get caught up in the other stuff. And, um, you know, so I have to realize, okay, this is an unredeeming world. This is an unredeemed world. Things like this are going to take place. Um, and, you know, so it, it's just a matter of, okay, Lord, I know that, you know, you're in control of it all. And um, and it's just, and I think it's one of those things where it's going to happen again. I, that's, 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 my, that's my thought process is that we're going to see this again. It's going to be like the same movie we see all the time. And then... You know, um, and just being uh, prayerful about it, and without ignoring the the situation that's going on, um, you know. So that is one of the things that I I do struggle with. But As a person who's not a parent, I, one thing that I just that just comes to my mind: all three of you guys are fathers, mm-hmm. you know. And um, so, is what 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 is it that what is your approach? Just in terms, I know that Dan, your kid is a is a baby, but still, you know. For all three of you all, what is your approach to the way that you raise your sons um, in this type of environment? And that's, you know, that's another thing that that you worry about, too, because my son is he's autistic. Yeah. And and not only that, he's he's been diagnosed with a mental disability. Mm-hmm. So let's say he gets so he's he, he's a teenager. He's, he grows. He becomes an adult. And. He, he's in a situation where he's in an encounter with the police and the police can't really cipher, okay, is something wrong with this guy? Does this guy have a mental illness? What's going on with him? What, what, can, what kind of condition he's in? And they can just shoot him without really knowing, 
you know, they can think that he's going crazy, but um, they don't know, uh, you know, they don't know his condition and they could just, you know, have a knee jerk reaction and just, mm -hmm. you know, harm him or, you know, or kill him or shoot him, you know, and that, and that's the thing that I worry about sometimes because knowing where my son is and knowing that he's going to be like this for the rest of his life, what's going to happen once he grows up? So it's a matter of, okay, I want to be able to, to protect him, but I, I'm not going to be with him all the time. So, you know, that's another thing that, that concerns me too. So, I mean, Landis, that's, a, that's an excellent point. I mean, <clears throat> I think there's two components to it. One is definitely instructing our children on how to operate in wisdom, right? And understanding that everyone doesn't think the way that you think. You have to realize that. Um, but then ultimately you got to trust the Lord, mm -hmm. right? I can only give them but so much. And ultimately, I have to I have to trust the Lord. Mm -hmm. If I don't trust the Lord, what's the point to all of this, right? Mm -hmm. What is the, like, literally, what's the point? Yeah. Um. So I instruct my son, you know, listen, when you're engaging with the police, you are humble, right? You're respectful. You do what they ask you to do. But ultimately, I have to trust God mm -hmm. because even you could do all that and still get shot. You could do all that and still end up in a bad situation. Right. Right. As did Philando, oh. you know. Right. So ultimately, at the end of the day, I have to trust God and believe that the Lord has my best interest at heart. Now, you may say, hey, that's just religious nonsense. But mm -hmm. ultimately, that's the whole crux of my life. Like mm -hmm. that is literally what my life is built upon. I live a life of faith. And so I have to believe that the Lord will have my best interests at heart. If it's my children, if it's myself, if it's my wife, if I'm doing what my heavenly father has sort of instructed me to do. And I know we about to get real deep with on the religion tip here for those who listen, but I have to trust God. I have to trust him and say, Lord, look, I'm in a situation. Maybe I was speeding. Maybe my taillight is out. Maybe I made an illegal left turn. I mean, whatever things happen. I was in a rush. I was running late. I didn't use my turn signal. Well, ultimately, I have to, I have to believe that and, and trust God that it, even in this situation, right, it, it will work out for my good, right? right? Now, I don't, I don't know the spiritual condition of all these people. I don't. Mm -hmm. I only know what they look like, and most mm -hmm. of them look like me. But mm -hmm. <clears throat> for, for those who believe what I believe and those who walk the way that I walk, we have to trust God. Right, that that comes down to me realizing that there are a lot of things in this life that are out of my control. Mm -hmm. There are some things I can control: my behavior, the what I say, what I do. Right, um, but there are a myriad of things that are out of my control, and so at the end of the day, I I have to to trust God and you know control what I can control, but for the uncontrollable, I I have to trust Him. Mm -hmm. um, which I think hopefully leads us into a good segue, right? Uh, did you want to respond to that? Dan, or did you want to? Even though your baby, your child is a baby. Yeah, Dan. Dan is Mister Mister Segway, so <laughs> I'm gonna go ahead and let. <laughs> All right. Uh, so I, you know, I come from interest and perspective because you know I'm white. My wife is black. So, um, so again, what I what I've experienced and grown up is gonna be far different from what my son is going to be experiencing, mm. and. He sees right now, you know, at a young age, just a little over one, he sees, you know, his parents uh, being white and black, loving him. And so he's, uh, right now, it's great. You know, he sees, okay, people of different colors, 
you know, loving him. But when he gets out in the real world, it's not going to be that way at all. Mm. Um, so I, I need to prepare him for, okay, yeah, this is, you know, this is our home. You know, we're coming from a, from a, from a Christ-like perspective. But when we get out in, get out in the world, it's a fallen world. Mm. It's, people are hating each other based on whatever. Primarily what we see today is based on race. And I have to prepare him that he's not going to be treated like he is at home. He's going to be treated with hostility he's, because he will be of a darker persuasion. He can expect injustice from the cops. And again, uh, as AJ was saying, I need to prepare him for that. What to do when he gets into those situations with the cops to, you know, obey those in authority, uh, to pray for his enemies. Um, but at the end, as AJ said, it ultimately I have to trust the, you know, that the Lord will protect him. Um, cause ultimately, yeah, when he, when he gets of age, there's, there's nothing I, I can personally do in that situation if I'm not with him and I just need to trust the Lord. I'm, if it were me, I want to, I would want to protect him as much as I can. Um, but yeah, ultimately that's that's what it comes down to. Yeah, wow. I think you know with the uh, the, the fortunate part, I've, I've got I've gotten stopped by a couple of white police officers. The good thing is is that I wasn't profiled. Um, they actually made me feel uh, comfortable. They were you know friendly, like okay, yeah, you know, and I was actually able to talk to one where I even because I told him about my um. You know what I was pursuing. I was, you know, getting a degree in, you know, criminal justice. And he said, "Yeah." He said, "You know what, man?" He said, "I, I, I." You know, he said he was fifty-five years old. He said, "You know, I have, um, I just started becoming a policeman. You know, this I found out this is what I wanted to do late. So he was like, it was never too late for you. And he was like, you know, that. And then at the end of the conversation, he said, you know, just just make sure that you." slow down okay (laughs) so you know but but it was but it was all good and 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 um i'm one of the few blessed individuals that could say you know i've um there are some um good cops out there you know and not all it's unfortunate that you know the bad cops that we see like the one who killed uh philando castile gives the rest of them a bad name because there are some good ones out there and i've been fortunate enough to be able to encounter um pretty good policemen so not all of them are bad but unfortunately the ones that are make the the rest of them look bad so um so that was a blessing for me to experience that and not happen to worry about being profiled which i thought i was but um i didn't have to and i've had a couple of encounters it wasn't just one it was um several of them and you know they were pretty uh you know they were pretty nice uh pretty nice guys so not all of them are like that so that's the fortunate part about that yeah oh yeah when you when you get you know in the frame of mind and you know for those of you who listen and listen you you know I'm a black guy I've been pulled over a bunch of times by the cops um but you know and I've been asked to get out the car I've been like I said I've, I've had my car searched by dogs I've mm-hmm. been through all that um, when you change, you know, your, your frame of mind, um, and like what Dan was just saying, praying for your enemies and stuff, that's stuff that's in the Bible. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for a lot of people, 
This might be confronting your, you know, your racial biases. And I'm talking about white and black. Because mm-hmm. if you talk to a lot of black people, they just hate police just because, right? Mm-hmm. May have never even been pulled over before. May have never had <laughs> any mm-hmm. interaction with the cops. I'm like, what you hate the cops for? They ain't do nothing to you. Mm-hmm. Um, that part of, you know, all of us coming out of this um, situation, you know, is changing our frames of mind. Mm-hmm. You know, the earlier in my life, I had a certain frame of mind when I interacted with the cops. But as I got older, not just in age, but just more mature, um, my my frame of mind was totally different. And so when you get pulled over and because you have that different frame of mind, the interactions go totally different. They go closer to what Landis was just talking about because I'm open to see what the Lord might even do through me getting pulled over with, mm-hmm. you know, with these cops, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm open to that now where 15 years ago, I may not have been open to that Tw- <laughs> 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. I wasn't open to that. Now I'm like, well, Lord, what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. It's cats in the Bible that got put in jail. I mean, this is mm-hmm. not, you know, cats in the Bible had, you, you think every interaction that Paul had with Roman, um, yeah, with the Roman government. Authority. Uh, yeah, authority. Mm. I lost frame of, lost the <laughs> lost the word. Authorities was was a pleasant one? Probably mm. not. Um Joseph in the Old Testament was thrown in jail unjustly. So mm-hmm. these are things that, that have taken place honestly throughout human mm-hmm. history. Yep. Um and so it's not like that's gonna change. Do you think all around the world people are not being locked up right now as we speak? Unjustly. Oh, it's worse. It's worse um, elsewhere. Right, exactly. This is America. You could be in a third world prison. Yeah. Don't nobody <laughs> want to go to jail in a third world country. No, the rep doesn't want to be there. So no, a, my frame of mind has to change with my interaction with authority, with law enforcement. Like my my they don't they do not control my behavior. No matter what they're doing, they don't control what I say, what I do. They can do whatever they want to do, and they're going to do it because, as we realize, they're unjust, they're unrighteous. We got it. But what they will not do is they will not control my behavior. They will not control my speech, right? I control that. Mm-hmm. I have control of that. And even if I go to my grave, I'll go to my grave as a man of honor, right? I'll go to my grave as a righteous man. So they'll, they'll never say, oh, he was this, he was that. Nope. He was a man of honor till the very end, right? Mm-hmm. That's what we have to be as believers. So that's that um mature perspective we have to control ourselves mm-hmm. you know before we can say oh they should be doing this they should be doing that you can't control yourself mm-hmm. right so i control myself in any interaction with law enforcement with any interaction with civil authority i um control myself so that's really important because i think that's part of the reason why people say the bible stands for basic instructions before leaving earth you know that's all that's one of those little religious things that we but they are it is like the it's interesting the context of the writers of the bible knew what world we were in mm-hmm. you know so this is like we live in a fallen world so therefore Things like, you know, this the proverb, Daniel probably knows the address, the proverb that says uh, a soft answer turns aside wrath, you know, mm-hmm. like like the Bible is instructing us on how to live in this context. Mm-hmm. So, yes, it's completely not fair that a trained officer um, can kirk out, you know, at the first sign of f- fear, whereas an untrained civilian has to act robotically and somehow with a gun in his or her face you know, be able to control that fear. It's it. All this is unfair. The cop is trained in how to deal with this and they get acquitted when this type of thing pops up. 
you know, and they end up killing someone, but somehow the civilian who is untrained and dealing with guns and faces has to, you know, has to, you know, be, you know, very, very stoic in the midst of that. So all of that is not fair, but like you all were saying, and I think it's, is excellent is, you know, scripture teaches us how to respond in this kind of environment. Yeah. None of, none of this is new. This is all addressed in scripture. You can see as early as uh, Exodus with Moses and his sister hating on Moses' wife because she was Ethiopian. <laughs> right, exactly. So racism ex- existed back then. And it's unfortunately, you know, I wish I could say differently, but unfortunately it's going to continue to exist till Christ comes back. I mean, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that we don't do anything about it and, you know, have a woe is me mentality. We should still stand against unrighteousness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But again, we shouldn't expect a fallen world to act differently than someone who has fallen would. Who, yeah, and it also made me think of uh, when Stephen was getting stoned, and he he was getting stoned because he stood for the gospel, and then it said he looked up and he saw the Son of Man standing to the right, and he and with full of the Spirit, he was able to say, "Forgive them." So. Um, only if I wish I could have <laughs> that kind of response, mm-hmm. you know, when someone is getting stoned and able to say, forgive them, you know, that, um, that stood out to me too. So, and that's, you know, that's, I think that self-control, you know, one of the mm-hmm. fruits of the spirit is self-control. And that's, mm-hmm. that's the thing that I think only believers are going to be able to put on display, mm-hmm. you know, that interaction with you know law enforcement or you know civil authority and my countenance doesn't change my character mm. doesn't change mm. and that what that does is that opens up avenues for the gospel right mm. that that opens up avenues for people to be willing to hear what you got to say about God mm. because they'll ha- they, they will have seen remember we talked about this last week about how lights are seen and not heard mm-hmm. you know we do mm. a lot more trying to be heard and a lot less seen yeah, right true let them see my interaction with civil authority. I'm like, yo, hey, man, them cops had you hemmed up, man. What, what in the world was going on? Hey, man, guess what? Now the door is open, right? Mm-hmm. Now that now that a, a door's been open, but it all starts with me having to be able to control myself. You know, there's a man. I, I, I you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm gonna leave that. I was about to get real deep into Bible stuff, but I'm gonna leave it. <laughs> um, Let's transition because we we're, we're talking about self control, and um, you know one of the things I think that people don't do and they just don't control is what they say, mm. right? We people feel like everything that they think needs to be said, mm-hmm. and that is just not the case. Just mm-hmm. because the thought pops in your head or the comment pops in your head, it does not need to be said. Now, I know you're probably thinking this from a guy who started a podcast. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But our friend, uh, Mr. Bill Maher, right, mm-hmm. over on HBO, Politically Incorrect, which is, you know, crazy because I watch that show from time to time, but I don't have HBO anymore, so do I'm trying to be a financially responsible individual. <laughs> yeah. I only got Netflix and Hulu, so shout mm-hmm. out to Netflix and Hulu. Mm-hmm. Yes. You can sponsor me anytime. <laughs> Netflix and Hulu can sponsor me anytime. Mm-hmm. But um, he he went off the rails this past week. So he was interviewing a um, <clears throat> congressman on his show, and the, from Nebraska. And so the, the congressman made a statement. You know, Bill, you could come work out in the fields out in Nebraska with us. And so Bill says, "Me working the fields? Nah, I'm a house nigga." 
Mm-hmm. Bill Maher said that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm only quoting Mr. Maher if I offended you. Remember I told you last week that that's my role here? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, no, but that, that was an exact quote from Bill Maher. Um, now, if I'm not mistaken, Bill is married to a black woman. I actually or he, don't or know. He, or he's dating, he's dating a black, a black woman. He's dating a black woman. Excuse yeah. me. He's dating a black woman. They're not married. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I don't know if he felt comfortable enough because he's dating a black woman now. They may talk like that in the house. You know what I'm saying? So you don't know how they may talk when they're at home, right? When they're at home, he may talk like that. So he probably felt comfortable enough. Yeah. Because you have to think, that's not a word that you just drop, you know, randomly. Mm-hmm. You have to feel comfortable enough in your conversation right. to just go ahead and throw that out there. So that made me, I, like, I thought about that. I was like, I wonder if him and his girl. Not only that, though, he, he you know, he has a lot of black, uh, like, celebrity friends. Like, Kid from Kid and Play is a real good friend of his. Oh, for real? Okay. Yeah. And, and so he has a, he has black friends that's, you know, that's um, high profile. And he also has a lot of black supporters. And because of that, that can make you feel, you know, comfortable. That, and then who knows, he could be a guy to where the guys who are around him use the word a lot, and they could. Because I've heard this before, where you, I've heard black people say if they have white friends and they use the word, they let their white friends oh use the gosh, word too. So that could be a possibility as well. So that that's probably what could have made him feel comfortable to be able to say it on the air like that. So <laughs> I don't doubt that. That yeah. that's what I'm saying. I I think he had to feel comfortable enough to say it. Yeah. You know, like it it came out like, oh, he uses this word. Like he doesn't uh-huh. that wasn't like a nigga. Yeah, you know, he, yeah. he said it like that's a part of his vernacular. Mm-hmm. And so that's what got me thinking, hmm, I wonder if he uses this in his private life and when he's talking to when he's talking to people and when he's talking to friends, family, his girlfriend, whatever. Is he just dropping this word like, <laughs> like casually, mm-hmm. um, which would then lend itself to him doing it on national television, mm-hmm. you know, in an interview? Mm-hmm. I don't know anything about his friends. This is just distressing to me because you know I just I grew up in an environment in a household where that word in any of its forms was unacceptable. And I G G A or E R. No, any yeah. of it's exactly you know it's just like really we're gonna make a distinction based upon you know spelling oh people were swinging from magnolias you know with with their genitals dangling out of their mouths while people were yelling those words and we're gonna try to repurpose a word like that mm-hmm. really yeah. it's just so i guess the only thing that i was gonna ooh, oh, yeah this <laughs> this word you know it just like to me, that's a word I abandon, you know, mm-hmm. or that I would abandon if given the choice. Right. Not say, okay, let me see how I can repurpose a word that somebody used to oppress me for centuries upon centuries. What? No, it's not even worth repurposing, you know. So it's kind of strange to me, you know. And I don't know, so I don't know Bill Maher's friends, but if he has black friends who, you know, who who just think that it's who are just really willy nilly when it comes to that word in his presence and he can use it. And, you know, man, I just, I don't know what to say about, about folks like that. All right. And I'll just, I'll just come from my <laughs> perspective again. Uh, I am, I am white. Um, I you got to preface all your sentences. You, you got to preface all your <laughs> But, no, just to, you know, being married to a black wife, being have, having majority black friends growing up the type of music that i listened to was primarily rap and not the wholesome 
rap uh, <laughs> where they did use the wholesome where they did use that word a lot and even even my friends as as a teenager growing up would use that use that word a lot around me and even call me that word without maybe out of because out of habit but i still knew it was not appropriate for me to use so i i cannot give bill maher a pass i just knew like i cannot use that word and did you feel oppressed by not being able to use that word how did you feel about that i was okay i understand i'm not supposed to use that word i understand uh where it can kind of get into uh the whole you know white privilege thing where okay oh everyone's else is using it why can't i use it mm-hmm. no if you know you have to understand you know the context of that word and no it's not appropriate for someone of a different race to to use that word so no i again i cannot give him a pass but what what he said was nothing new um i don't know if anyone i don't know how long ago maybe a couple few years ago the controversy with him and wayne brady and him you know identifying wayne brady as okay as kind of not really not a real black person because of the way that he acted Mm -hmm. so he's you know he's he feels that he has a free pass to speak on these things i know that people kind of joke around on these things but no Bill, you you need to know your place. Right. You know you cannot speak on who who is a real black person who isn't, and understand that you know black people are multi multifaceted, just like every everyone else, just like Thank white you. people. So there's no particular way to act or speak based on your race. Right. And I thought you know what I thought was even honestly more foolish than Bill's initial comment, which in and of itself was extremely foolish and reckless, um, was then the interview with Ice Cube uh-huh. that he had the next week. Yeah. And so <laughs> Ice Cube comes on here like the voice of re- like, you know, I'm the right. voice of reason here. Well, we must the remember the name of the group that, that he that, used to that, belong that to. That he started, exactly. Like, right. you forgot the group that you started <laughs> yeah. back, in the, back in the day? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and but Ice Cube made a statement on there because I, I listened to the entire interview. Well, I watched the I watched the entire interview mm-hmm. um, when Ice Cube came back. It was on YouTube, and he said Ice Cube made one statement that I think was extremely problematic. He said, "That's our word now." Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys saw the, the the whole clip, but he said, "That's our word now." Like we took it. That's our word, and I think similar to what Eve was just saying, um, something that was used to cause so much destruction. Yeah. And that's like Jewish people trying to repurpose like Holocaust. We're going to call right. Holocaust something else. That's our word now. Right. Mm, that's, you know how foolish that was saying? Yeah. yeah. You, you know, this is what I had. This is one of the quotes that I got from him when he said, uh, N-word has been used as a weapon against black people. It's like a knife. You can use it as a weapon or as a tool. It's our word and you can't have it back. Yeah. When yeah. I hear my homie say it, I don't. It doesn't feel like venom. When I hear a white person say it, it feels like a knife stabbing. It feels like a knife stabbing, even if they don't mean it. And what I got out of that was, okay, you're saying that first. You're saying that it's a, it's it's used as a weapon 
or as a tool. And the confusion I get from that is, is that if you have you saying that a black person uses it, it doesn't feel like venom. But when a white person doesn't use it, when a white person uses it, it feels like a knife is stabbing. I don't see any way whatsoever how the word is even uplifting, even when a black person uses it. How can it even be used as a tool to uplift your own people? And to me, it's like, okay, it's confusing because you're saying that it doesn't feel like venom when a black person uses it. But if you're still offended if a white person uses it, then, I mean, what in, in what way does that work? Because to me, that word is always going to have a negative, negative connotation. It's never going to be used as a tool in any way whatsoever. So it's like if you're still offended by it, it, it's like it, you using it with another black person doesn't mean anything because if you're still offended by it, then it's not doing anything to you to uplift you. So, Yeah, I think less than a tool. It's I look at it more like drugs, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> Where drugs are not beneficial in any way, shape, or form, right? Mm -hmm. But as a grown adult, you have the right to go out and try, break the law and get some, get some drugs. Go get some cocaine, get crack, whatever, right? It's not going to build you up. It's not going to help you. But as a grown adult, feel free to go out there and kill your brain cells. That's mm -hmm. there, there, there. There is no context in which the N word is a tool that builds you up, right? It is merely something that you have the ability to use in your speech. You're a grown adult. If you want to use the word, right, use the word. I don't use the word, right? right. And that's just some, a decision that I make. But I know people who use the word in casual conversation. You talk to them and they're like, blah, 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 and when you're like, make you chill with that. You know what I mean? You know, there's an interesting thing, AJ, is that. Uh, Nas, who's also a high-profile rapper, you know, and um, with Cube saying it's our word and it feels like a white person's will. Nas is the lyrics to a song called "Be a Nigga Too." Uh, he said he makes a reference to Eminem because Eminem used the word before, mm. where he said, uh, "Not mad because Eminem said nigga, because he my nigga, we're a cracker friend, we all black within." Okay, so the perspective that he says on the lyrics is different from what Ice Cube said. Well, Ice Cube said, well, a white person uses it. It feels like I'm being stabbed. Well, Nas says, well, I'm okay with Eminem saying it. He's a white rapper. I'm okay with him saying it. So you got two rappers with two different perspectives on it. And then Fnatic also from a cross movement brought an interesting perspective on the N-word. He said, there has been historically an effort by well-off upper white class, upper class whites to pit poor whites and African-Americans against each other Thank to keep you. them in what feels like a caste and not a class system. What historians have shown is as long as poor whites can see themselves as better than blacks, they'll, they'll allow well-off, well-to-do whites to do whatever they want to them, politically, financially, and economically, whatever. And I think the N-word has been used to cast African-Americans as the lowest, as inhuman. Even if whites are not using the word to dehumanize blacks anymore, as long as we keep the word alive, we keep alive this concept that we are at the bottom caste so that the richest, most intellectual, most affluent African-American is still worse than a poor white because he's a nigga. Even if you're a rich nigga, hood nigga, thug nigga, you're at the bottom caste because as long as you're, uh, where am I at? Because as long 
as you true as as long as you say that word that yourself on using the n word as a term of endearment because you know a lot of people say black people say we use it as a we took that word and we use it as a term of endearment. He says this is something there's something good in the concept of that's my nigga. The only good part is the my part, <laughs> not the nigga part. What you're really saying is even though you're a nigga, I'll still claim you. But the fact is you're still a nigga. So, so that's about 25 <laughs> N-words <laughs> yeah. in about 45 seconds. Yeah. So I mean, but the end result is people refusing mm-hmm. to control the things that they say, mm-hmm. right? I am literally, and it. I don't think people even realize how much, like I was so offended. Remember that comedian last year who did the White House Correspondents Dinner? Obama's last one. Larry, um, Larry Fillmore, Gilmore. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, Gilmore. Is yeah, Gil- Gilmore. Gilmore. I think that was his so, name. Yeah, yeah. yeah he I think was. He, he lost his job recently, he, but go ahead. He did the last White House correspondence dinner before Obama left office. So this was 2016, the last one from Obama. And at the end of his uh, set, he said, "You know, like I appreciate you, my nigga, or you did it, my nigga, or yeah. something like that." Yeah. I was like, "Did a president?" And you have a whole, but in the in just looking at the visuals, you have him saying that, and you have a mostly white audience clapping and smiling. Yeah, I was, I, man, I was offended. Man, I was so offended. I was like, "Does this dude understand that that's the president?" But I think did he actually let, say the word though? Yeah, he said the word like at the White House correspondence dinner. Wow. I mean, he did his set, you know, told some jokes. You know, which was kind of, I mean, they, they were kind of funny. I mean, because he's a funny guy. He had a show, I know, on Comedy Central. Yeah, but had. at the end of his set, he just dropped it. Like, you know, like, you did it, my nigga, or something like that. And he's a baby boomer. He should know. <laughs> like, oh. people in our generation or the millennials, you know, sometimes things aren't really taught, you know, after a certain number of generations. But his generation knows better. So I just thought, I mean, I, I think that that lends itself exactly what Landis just said, that even the president of the United States, right? Another black person will still mm. look at the president, you know, mm-hmm. the leader of the free world, as we call it, <clears throat> and still feel okay to just say, you know, the N-word. So mm. we have to we have to learn to control ourselves. If you know, if, again, if for those listening, learn to control yourself. Everything don't need to be said, right? right? So, certain words... You got to take out of your vocabulary. Can you say it? Do you have the ability to say it? You know, sure. You can say whatever you want to say, but you should not want to say it. You know, look up the history. For those of you who are interested, there's a book by Brady Goodwin. Landis just referenced it. It's called Navigating the N-Word. I would highly encourage you to go out and read it. Read some of the history on how that word was utilized, right? The the, the root of something. If you ever want to find out about something, go back to its root origin. So it's called Navigating the N-Word by Brady Goodwin. Definitely yeah. a really good book. And I think to to segue one, one more time, um, I think that our insistence on using that word actually is an impediment to, you know, whatever you want to call it, racial equality, you know, justice, whatever. Um, and I think it aids, it continues to aid this, underlying current and you know this overarching theme of this nation which is you know white supremacy mm-hmm. it aids in that every time we continue to dredge up that word every time we take joy in using it publicly i think it, it aids in in white supremacy mm-hmm. 
because the nature of the word. And so with, with that in mind, um, this week, the Southern Baptist Convention, um, there was a, a black pastor from Louisiana. I should have wrote down his name. Uh, Dwight McKissie, I believe. Yes, yes. It was like McKissie or something like that. So he, um, at the Southern Baptist Convention this week, he uh, brings a motion to the floor. I mean, they have they they follow Robert's rules of order. So he brings a motion to the floor for the Southern Baptist Convention to formally and officially, as an organization, denounce white supremacy and the alt right. Um, and that dream was shot down. That dream was shot down. Um, I laugh only because it's it's really unfortunate, not not because it's funny. Um, but it was shot down, and then the SBC uh, did eventually modify his motion and then ratified it, um, but not because they wanted to, because there was such a backlash. Which is, you know, the the way things typically happen in, in this country now. It's not because we have the heart to do something. It's because it doesn't look good. Mm-hmm. You know, the the optics, as they call it, mm-hmm. aren't very good. And so they went back. the The board reconsidered. They modified his motion, and then they brought it back to the floor, and it was eventually ratified. And you know, whatever that means, right? Um, but AJ, it, what you just said bears repeating. I ju- I just want to get this straight. So, are you saying? That a Christian organization, there was a motion put before a Christian organization asking that Christian organization to what? To to what? What was the motion? Formally, formally, to formally denounce. denounce a system, an oppressive system of white supremacy. So we have Jesus on one side. We have an oppressive system of white supremacy that has rendered generations of people oppressed and kept them from realizing their full life's potential for generations upon generations. So there's Jesus on one side and somebody approaching Jesus, a representation of Christ on this earth, saying, will you renounce this oppressive system? And the response was what? Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> that, that was the, and it, it, it was funny because, well, not funny. It was in, interesting because I read some of the tweets. Mm-hmm. I read um, a couple of people who were there, who were physically there in the building, and they and they were actually like really disheartened mm-hmm. to see their brothers. I mean, they were saying, "Yeah, I'm looking around at my brothers," and they were just kind of like, "Yeah, I'm good." Mm-hmm. And then I read some other tweets from people in the alt-right. Why did you do that? Celebrating the fact that the SBC initially did not ratify the motion. They're like, yeah, good job, great job by the Southern Baptist Convention. Mm-hmm. So they're they're being congratulated by by white supremacists for for not uh, ratifying the uh the 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 motion. Right. But as I understand mm-hmm. it though, don't doesn't the Southern Baptist Convention then they have a history of racism. Yep, that's where I was going. They they, they were started, yeah. yeah. It was started to because they were pro pro slavery mm-hmm. um in the 19th century. Yes, that's where the that's the that's the roots of the Southern Baptist Convention. Yeah. Just had a little power surge in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which again is ironic because the pastor who he he brought up the issue originally because he encountered 
people who identified as they were of the Southern Baptist Convention, but also identified as all right. Oh, that's wow. that's why he mm. brought up that mm. proposal because he saw he saw that false or that dichotomy there. How how can you be a Christian? How can you be a believer in Christ yet hold to white supremacy? Hold to mm-hmm. racist views, mm-hmm. which is antichrist. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's why he brought up that proposal originally, and mm-hmm. you know I'm thankful that at the end, so at the end they finally casted a revote and they got it right. Uh, they said people again over finally overwhelmingly voted against it, but throughout that process, so they made excuses as far as the language that they didn't like how it was worded. Mm. Um, and <laughs> wow. they felt it was too strong. Mm-hmm. With so, what what are you supposed to come <laughs> meekly? Uh, oh, please don't be racist. Please don't do the no. Like, look at Christ's example. How did Christ speak to the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Did, he was went he, buck. Was he? Mm. He wasn't tiptoeing around them. He con- confronted it directly. Mm. We need to be bold as Christians and take serious stands against these issues this is why honestly uh and i'll maybe offend people by saying this but this is why the world takes us as a joke because Mm -hmm. we're not willing to take bold stands on on issues that are clearly wrong like racism Mm -hmm. we we can't tiptoe around the issue and be scared of offending people Mm -hmm. i mean we are going to offend that is going to happen the gospel offends people i'm sorry but if, if you don't want to offend people, then don't be a Christian. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. That's what's up. Yeah, I think that what concerns me, though, is that in them modifying this thing, they did it out of spite to me, it seems like. Not, they didn't do it because they didn't do it like um, as soon as they addressed this. Oh, yeah, yeah. They did it like out of spite, and that's the thing that concerned me because of the backlash. Mm-hmm. They didn't do it because the pressure was on them. They didn't do it like up front say, oh, yeah, yeah, we got to do this right now. They didn't do this because they they do it because it was backlash coming from the outside. That's the thing that concerns me. So, And that's where we have to, <clears throat> excuse me, we have to be honest. You know, one of the things we, we talked about the, the, the last go round was our, our dishonest presentation, you know, how we present things. And I say we as believers, we present stuff really dishonest sometimes, man. Mm-hmm. We don't just say, you know what? Let me get a minute to sort of mull this over because I have some cultural biases or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, Dan talked a lot about how we are fed from childhood that black is wrong. Yeah, of course we are, mm-hmm. you know. And so it would be foolish of me not to think that a lot of those pastors in there don't have that same struggle, mm-hmm. right? They, If it's the Southern Baptist Convention, <laughs> I don't know. I don't even want to know what it was like in the South for a 60-year-old white pastor who's a man mm. what he was probably fed from the moment he was born right. up until the moment he met Christ was probably completely godless mm. right particularly as it pertains to race and so he may have been navigating through a lot of stuff through a lot of biases as he's walked his walk in you know with the lord and so now you get to the southern baptist convention and you have these two worlds colliding right mm where you understand 
all right, you know, Jesus, this, God, Bible, etc. But I still have all this baggage that I've been trying to navigate through. Like, that's the other part that I think sometimes we have to give a little bit of grace for. Mm-hmm. These guys are humans, mm-hmm. right? I'm not in any way, shape, or form justifying um, this foolish act. But what I am saying is that them doing it, them recognizing for whatever reason, what they did was, you know, ungodly and, and unrighteous. Um, I, I will at least acknowledge baby steps. Mm. I'll at least, and but I will call it what it is, which is a baby step, because it's not really the 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 step of a mature believer. Mm. But I will acknowledge a baby step to say, hey, listen, okay, you recognize the folly, um, and you were willing to publicly correct it, you know, and and at least admit. Yeah, what we did was kind of wrong, so we're going to kind of clean up a little bit. But in cleaning it up, continue on. Now, make the you know make those next steps. Like, yo, we got to really dig into this. If I got friends who are white supremacists, I got to say, yo, look, we were just talking about this at the Southern Baptist Convention. Y'all got to clean this up. Like, if I have family who are in the I got to confront them. If I know other pastors or other people in ministry, whatever, who are in the alt-right, who identify as a... I, I got to be willing to confront them, like what Dan was saying. I got to be willing to confront and potentially offend them mm-hmm. because their cultural biases are in complete opposition to the things of God, mm-hmm. right? And I have to be willing to say that, and if it means losing a friend, then I'm willing to do that. If it means having beef with my family, I'm willing to do that. Like, I have to be willing to do those things if... I'm going to honestly present what I present. Does the scripture not say examine yourself? Mm-hmm. You know, does it not say that? And again, the Bible, you know, the writers of the Bible know that we live in a particular context to even know to make these uh, to, to make these declarations that you need to examine yourself. You're going to live in a, a culturally biased environment. You're going to live in an environment beset with sin. So look into your own heart. You know, and, and and when you have pastors, you know, again, some people will say, and I agree with you, AJ, that they are human beings. However, when you have repented and when a Holy Spirit has come to live inside of you, yes, you're a human being, but, but, but you are on a different, like you're supposed to have a level of discernment or at least the beginnings of it, and then not to mention the fruit from it. You know, love, joy, peace, patience. That that's supposed to be somewhere in your orbit. Mm-hmm. You know, or even if it's just the beginnings of it. And of course, we know men who are not mature, according to what is it, Timothy, aren't supposed to be in the pastorate in the first place. Mm-hmm. That's why I admire people like John Piper, who's one of my favorite preachers and theologians. You know, a few years ago, I don't know if you guys remember, but a few years ago, he put it out there through Desiring God on YouTube saying, talking about his racial biases, you know? He actually put it out there. There are a couple of videos that are really good and they're worth looking at. And and he said, look, this is the environment that I, I'm 60 plus years old now, he was at the time, but I grew up in an environment where every time I turned around, everything reinforced black inferiority, you know? And when you're a kid, you don't have the critical thinking to say, actually, the reason that you see these stratifications in your environment is because of historic oppression. Mm. And then, you you know, it takes a while, even if what you see seems to be evidence, well, the reason that you see this stratification is because of inequality of opportunity. Put a whole bunch of people out there, give them the same opportunities, sooner or later that stratification will change. But he's a child, so he grows up 
just like a fish in water surrounded by these um, assumptions. He grows up, he moves to Minnesota, you know, he goes overseas, you know, he experiences the world. You know, he, uh, after his children, you know, were almost grown, he, he and his wife adopt a black child, you know, so he grows up. And, but then he has enough humility a few years ago to put that in a little mini documentary on YouTube mm. in or through Desiring God, his, his ministry saying, you know, the, I, I want to be a white person that steps up, that empowers and emboldens other white people to say the same. And I want you to know, yes, this is where I came from. I am a racist. <laughs> That's what Piper's, yeah, look, wow. if you know anything about Piper, you know, once the pulsating uh, vein comes from his neck, he's going to go off. Yes, I am a racist. But, you know, this is where I am now. I'm growing out of it. And this is, you know, what, what I'm doing now. So I think it's really important that if you are a pastor that, or if you are a human being, or if you're a Christian, you know, self-examination is, is a first step. No, all that is excellent. And I think that's where we got to start, you know, sort of, you know, coming full circle before I go to cops or the justice system or anybody. Believers got to we got to examine our house first. And so we have to begin to purge these cultural biases, right? These godless thoughts, this unrighteous baggage that we come that we all come with. Right. We all come with this baggage. You know, when I make the decision, because becoming a believer is a decision that you got to make. Right. I got baggage, whatever it is, whatever my baggage is, it comes with me. And so I have to deal with it and and address it and sort of be like, all right, Lord, this is this is what I got when I get when I got here. This is these now as. As you know, as a loving God, He will deal with it. But I think to act like the baggage is not there, mm-hmm. right? That's where we all these issues come up because we just kind of go on our merry way, and like uh, Mr. Piper, don't realize I got all these baggage. And so I'm in my sixties now, seventies, whatever, and I'm like, mm, I never unpacked all these bags that I came with. Yep. So we gotta, we gotta, you know, really examine our own house first. All right. Um, we're going to pause here and examine our house. I like that segue. And um, hear a word from our sponsor. Addressing your health is not something you can ignore. A report from your doctor or even aches that you've learned to live with need to be taken care of. It can feel like a long road when you go at it alone and aren't sure what to do. Working with a knowledgeable individual will help you save time, resources, and actually get the results you're looking for. Let us introduce you to Princess Akima, a certified holistic nutrition practitioner. She's a living example that making powerful changes in your life will have ripple effects. She works one-on-one with clients to prevent and reverse disease from skin issues, diabetes, high blood pressure, and allergies. This can be treated by using nutritional guidance, herbal and homeopathic means, body work, and movement. This whole person holistic approach is helping people get restored. Get in touch with Akima today at www.princessakima.com. That's P-R-I-N-C-E-S-S-A-K-E-E-M-A. Or you can reach her at 240-855-0266. And you can connect with her on Facebook and Twitter at Princess Akima. Please support our sponsors as they support this podcast and let them know you heard about it on Across the Intersection. All right, so we're back. All right, so we thank y'all for rocking with us. We're going to end on like the little segment that we love to end with. And it's, uh, 
I was calling it this week in social media. I may just call it this week in the news. I, yeah, I, I don't know what I'm gonna call it, mm. but it's that it's that uh, part of the news, that part of the week where um, that's not see that's that long legs that you're taking. Where we, you know, we as Christians sometimes like to do things publicly in our zeal and our excitement. We like to say things publicly that probably should have been left for private conversations, but we like to say them publicly and, you know, and then it gets called out for what it is, which is foot in mouth. Um, So so, uh, this week, um, the gentleman that um, 45 has nominated to be the secretary of OMB um, or OPM, I think it's OPM. OPM OPM is the Office of Personal Management. I don't know if he... It's either OMB or OPM. I should all these government acronyms. You know the government got like a thousand acronyms. Um, It's either OPM or OMB. Y'all could fact check me and and tweet at us or hit us on Facebook. Um, But uh, Secretary Vaught, Voight or Vaught, I don't know how you pronounce that. But he wrote an article on religious freedom. Um, Obviously, he's a Christian, so it was coming from a distinctly Christian perspective. But then our good friend Grandpa Bernie. (laughs) <laughs> Grandpa Bernie had a rebuttal for him um, later on in the week and said, hey, listen, uh, Mr. Vaught, were you willing to give everybody those religious freedoms that you were writing so vehemently about? Would you be willing to give those same religious freedoms to Muslims? Not that Bernie's a Muslim, because Bernie's not a Muslim, but he was making a point mm-hmm. that Mr. Vaught wasn't really writing for religious freedom. He was writing for Christian freedom. which is a different thing, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, because one of the things that I think gets misconstrued is that America is somehow a Christian nation or, you know, this is, you know, this is not a Christian nation. You know, it's not at at, at all. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think Bernie was calling him to the carpet for that. I might have just offended somebody else, by the way. Sorry about that. (laughs) I kind of make a habit of doing stuff like that. And of course, then Mr. Vaught backtracks. Oh, well, you know, I'm a Christian and they all need Jesus. So I just, you know, and it it sort of was like, "Mm, you should have kind of thought about those things before you put foot in mouth. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what, what, what say you on, on a. Wait, what exactly did he say that put his foot in his mouth? Like, did he, did he say initially, yes, I'm just talking about Christian freedoms. And then he, he changed his mind. What, what, how he was wouldn't that? say that. He wouldn't go as far as to say that. Okay. He was going. At, he he come at it. He came at it. Excuse me. Oh well, they just need Jesus, and you know I'm a Christian, so I'm writing about my Christian beliefs. But Bernie's whole point was, no, you weren't writing about Christian beliefs. Mm-hmm. You were writing about religious freedom in America, mm-hmm. and so Bernie kept hammering that particular point, which is something that Mr. Vaught wasn't going to go as far as what you just said because what you just said is yes that's the truth but that's not the optics that he wanted to portray yeah i'm thinking about just how we address the subject of you know religious freedoms versus christian freedoms i hear you know these different whatever talk shows or whatever from conservative perspectives they're always saying you know the word religious freedoms but you have to count the cost. Okay, what exactly are you saying? If you if you're talking about religious freedoms, then you have to include all religions, not right. just Christian right. religions. So if you're saying 
oh, we should have religious freedom. To, and I don't know exactly what he said in that letter. I haven't read it. But if you say something like we should have the religious freedom to practice anything we want in our religion, then you're going to open up a whole can of worms. Because we understand <laughs> right. from a from a biblical Christian perspective, yeah, that's awesome. But you're also, okay, you're also including Muslims. You're also including... Uh, Wiccans, Wiccans, um, wh- whatever religion you can think of, you're in- including um, Voodooism or whatever it's called, or so you're allowing, you're saying, Sickness. oh, that yeah. they can uh, they can practice uh, animal sacrifices, they can do, you know, they can practice, you know, in the Sharia law or whatever, and so. You you need to be very careful on how you were. We need to be very careful as as believers and how we were things. We need, to, yeah, we need to watch our our tongues and say exactly what we mean. If we mean, um, you know, Christian freedoms, and just say just say that. Don't don't beat around the bush. Because uh, I know we get into this whole political correctness thing, and we want to use religious freedoms and not Christian freedom. Um, but be honest from your perspective. Now, if if, if you want to talk about Christian freedoms, then be direct with that. If you want to say religious freedoms, then measure what you say to say, okay, we should be allowed to practice these certain things in our religions, but, but not other things. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we just need to, to be mindful of our words. That's what we get messed up at, because he mm-hmm. probably wanted to say Christian freedoms, mm-hmm. but, but as a politician, you can't yeah. say that, because yeah. I need Muslim votes, mm-hmm. I need Buddhist votes, you know what I'm saying? We need all the other votes, so I can't just come out and say Christian freedoms, Christian liberty, whatever. I got to use ambiguous terms like religious mm-hmm. freedom. I think, I think Bernie was right to call him out on that, really. I mean, because, look, Donald Trump said it. Uh, he said specifically... Uh, I want to protect Christians. And he said this during the campaign trail. So he didn't make any bones about that. He didn't say, I want to protect Christians, Muslims, anybody who were involved in any religion. He he specifically said Christians. So, (laughs) (laughs) and you said this guy was appointed uh, to be, this guy, was he appointed by Trump? Yeah. Yeah, I think that kind of makes sense. I mean, because for... Because, like I said, Trump said this, and so, um, and then Trump is not a politician, so he's going to say what he wants. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah, I think Bernie was right to call him out on that, though. So again, I mean, ultimately, I didn't really have a problem with what he said. Similarly to the the the, the last one and any other one that we're going to pull up with these little segments, these are probably comments that should have been said in private. Mm-hmm. If he makes that statement in a private conversation in his house or something like that, it's probably nothing. If he's talking to his friends and he says, hey, you know, listen, man, some of these laws are encroaching upon Christian freedoms. We got to do something about that. Boom. Mm -hmm. But you come out publicly and you make that statement, particularly because of the position that you hold. Right. You are a presidential appointee. It's going to make waves. It's going to cause a stir. It's it's going to be, you know, going to get people talking and get people doing things because of the position that you hold. So, again, people out there, if you believe in God, if you're a believer, <laughs> control what you say, man. Control what, everything doesn't need to be said. And then 
everything may not need to be said publicly. There are some things that are private conversation points only. All right. So with that, we appreciate y'all for rocking with us again. Um, like we always say, and we'll continue to say, we want to do our best to bring God to the forefront. You know, in this culture that we live in, it's been cool. It's been the, the thing to do to try to keep God to the sidelines and keep him out the mix. But we're going to continue to work to keep God in the mix because we believe in God. I'm going to say it until they put me in the ground. <laughs> All right. So with that, we appreciate y'all rocking with us for Landis, Dan, Eve, this is AJ, and we get started i won't cheat you let me set apart who is my people the ones who set in their heart to be believers press on to the mark to follow jesus when it gets hard they be seeking the leaders fathers that help them heal when they are beaten or help them see the meaning when they're grieving don't follow their feelings that'll be misleading yeah,